You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks for listening. It's Friday, November the 5th, and you join me at the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. It is Breeders' Cup Future Stars Friday, ahead of a truly absorbing championship Saturday tomorrow, and we are devoting this entire edition to trying to point you in the right direction, not just of the horses that might win these great races, but also what some of the key storylines might be, and just to try and give this event its due respect and its proper context. And I'm really pleased that today, Friday, James Willoughby doesn't just join me for a segment of the show, but joins me throughout because the Breeders' Cup is one of his great loves. He's invested so much of his own uh, emotional and intellectual energy to this event down the years. And we're going to look at this through the prism of our thoroughbred racing commentary, Global Rankings. And before I get to James, I'm going to read you down the top 15 horses that take their place in the Breeders' Cup races that are currently in the TRC rankings. At 15, running in the distaff, is Malathart for Shadwell and Todd Pletcher, who is currently rated 55 in the rankings. At 14, classic contender Art Collector. We heard from Mike Smith about his chances on the podcast earlier in the week. He's at 45. 13th of Breeders' Cup runners is Broom. He's rated 44. He's in the turf for Aidan O'Brien. He'll be ridden by Frankie Dettori. At 12 is Life is Good. Very talented horse. Years gone by, he might have run in the sprint. He might have run in the classic. He's a very short price favorite for the Dirt Mile, and he sits at 40 in the rankings. At 11 is Love. Is she rather the forgotten horse? She's in the Philly and Mare turf. 36 is her position in the TRC rankings. And then to the top 10 ranked horses. At 10 is Mo Forza, who is rated 35. He runs in the mile, big local hope. At nine is Latruska. She runs in the distaff. She's rated 31. At eight is the mile market leader, Space Blues, one of six Breeders' Cup runners for leading ranked trainer, Charlie Appleby. At seven is Medina Spirit, the Kentucky Derby winner still in the classic. He's rated 21. At six is Gamine, very short price favorite again for Bob Baffert in the Philly and Mare Sprint. She's ranked 19. At five is Hot Rod Charlie, big player in the Breeders' Cup Classic for Doug O'Neill. He's rated 11. At four is Jackie's Warrior, ranked nine, heavy favorite for the sprint. At three, of course, is Tarnawa. Is she as good as she was last year? She's ranked eight in the global rankings. Ranked at five is Nix Go, who is currently favorite for the Breeders' Cup Classic and one place ahead of him. And in the top 10, as he has been all year, pretty much, is essential quality. Last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner, the Belmont winner, the Travers winner. He is ranked at number four. So, James Willoughby, across all the divisions, a really good spread of top-class horses as we approach a weekend that I know you enjoy perhaps more than any other. Right. This wonderful event, going back to 1984 in Hollywood Park, has surely never had such a strong and deep cast of characters. Now, when I first started following the Breeders' Cup, 25 or so years ago, there was always this thing in Europe where they didn't like this tag, World Championships. And I think that with some justification, it tended to be an all-American affair back then with a few token uh, contenders from Europe, of course, who then gathered momentum with each passing success. But look at it now. No other meeting in the world comes close to be able 
to use the tag World Championships. Looking at this cast of characters, 15 horses in the world's top 55. And that's leaving out really how strong the juvenile events are. And as you've already mentioned, the Japanese uh, contingent bolstering that and probably taking more of an interest as the years go forward. So I think you'd have to be pretty snobby to turn your nose up at uh, this meeting if you are a very Eurocentric or parochial um, viewer of racing. This is absolutely magical stuff. I suppose the one omission is no European runner in a in a dirt race. That now does seem to have become almost a thing of the past. We might have had Mishriff here, I guess. Well, I guess as things go along and people sort of try to act more smart in sport and they analyse things ever de- deeper, it tends to make people more risk-averse, doesn't it, rather than risk-seeking, as it's not seen as the smart thing to do. And when we look back at um, Aidan O'Brien, some of these rather hapless contenders in the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic. I think that probably has made it a little bit more difficult for uh, kind of connections of top-class European horses just to have a have a tilt, and, and it's a shame. But thirty-three European horses across the seven turf races. Yeah. And uh, people have railed against the idea that this is a mini Ryder Cup, but the turf races do have that sort of feel almost to them yeah i mean i think any kind of team element in horse racing tends to divide you know people from the um kind of british versus irish Cheltenham festival vibe to this transatlantic uh, affair really i think that what this meeting showcases is how good european horsemen and horsewomen have done over the years from those early forays where all sorts of disappointments uh, followed horses like Dancing Brave and excuses were made for them. How brilliant we've become at travelling horses and actually aiming the right horse at the right race. And, you know, I think it's a celebration, this meeting, in many ways. And I just hope it passes by without any uh, controversy. Well, clearly one key talking point is is Bob Baffert. He's had to undergo <laughs> very, very strict uh, additional medication testing um, put in place by the Breeders' Cup over the last um, two or three weeks. They were left in an invidious position, James, really, weren't they? They were. You, you've covered this extensively, and I've followed it with great interest. It, it really is un- unparalleled uh, in racing history, the, the focus on Baffert. Uh, is that proportionate? Well, some would say yes. Some maybe might wonder. Um, but whatever way, I think we are going to see some maybe some controversy attached to horses like Gay Mine if she was to win or dare I say Medina Spirit to win the Classic would not be seen by many uh, in America as being the perfect uh, way to end their season. Uh, Notwithstanding that and what attendant publicity might follow it, uh, Medina Spirit is a horse with a a really significant chance as we as we launch into the Classic and just looking at those rankings again We've got Essential mm-hmm. Quality 4, Nick's Go 5, Hot Rod Charlie 11, Medina Spirit 21. It is a, a really intriguing race, pitting this very good collection of three-year-olds against a, a star older horse. That's absolutely perfectly summarised. And it is that classic generation that really commands the most interest from me. Three very strong representatives of it, Essential Quality, Hot Rod Charlie and Medina Spirit. And all year... They've really showcased what they can do and the form in each 
race has worked out well in the next one. And they all come into this really with strong claims to run really well. Now, TRC figures generally have suggested that from a very early stage, this is a vintage crop of horses, going back to last year's juvenile, won by essential quality. And we'll get on to talking about Jackie's Warrior in the sprint. He, he, of course, was a key player in that. And he's gone on to even show what a strong race that was. But the bedrock of the classic generation was last year's juvenile form. It's worked out tremendously well. And in these three horses, we've got three with contrasting run styles, contrasting racing characters, but consistent to them all is the fact they're very, very good and very fast as well. And that's always important when we're trying to assess the quality of American racehorses. So Nick's go, the question is, can he stretch his speed? He's not a horse who's ever raced at a mile and a quarter before. What's your, what's your hunch before we get into what the rankings tell us? Yeah, my hunch is that he won't because I think there are, there are others of similar ability to him that stay the trip or will stay the trip better. Now, if the three-year-olds disappoint and the scenario transpires where Nick's go is matched against a lesser horse, then yeah, he, sure, his stamina can hold out. This is the way to think about stamina. It's stamina is, is something which divides two horses only when they've got the same amount of ability. Because better horses can outlast and have done in the history of American racing um, lesser horses because speed favoring dirt surfaces really tilt the advantage that way. So Nick's go is a very, very good horse. As you say, he's untested at a mile and a quarter. The way he races makes it very much look like he is a kind of speedier horse around a mile. And I don't see that you can assert that he's got a class edge here. Um, I think he is just about the best horse in the race on form. But in terms of a portfolio, essential qualities really is second to none in this race. And that's why we have him ranked uh, number one in this particular contest. Had essential quality not run somewhat below par in the Kentucky Derby, people would be hailing this horse as a bit of a, a superstar. I think the, the world is watching to see what sort of horse essential quality really is now, aren't they? I mean, that's absolutely right. He's by Tappet, so he's bred to run. And in the Belmont Stakes, which is a memorable race, and the best of the three classics by far, in my opinion, both in terms of time, in terms of the way the races run, in terms of splits, and the quality of these two horses in, in the stretch. Hot Rod Charlie set in a very fast pace, and there'll be some pace handicappers here who think that with a more conservative uh, ride, he can probably get the uh, the better of essential quality. But either way, they pulled miles clear in a fast time. And Nick, this year we've seen a really welcome trend in that for maybe a decade and longer, we saw the race times of middle distance races on dirt dip considerably to those going back to the generation of Silver Charm and the like, who would regularly post biospeed speed figures in 113, 114, 115. Well, they were starting to win classics in America with, with numbers seven or eight points worse than that on a regular basis. But this year we've seen the revision back towards that type of speed. And it's not just one horse that can do it. It's several of this generation. And so that's what makes this race so exciting for me. You figure we could see a really top-notch time performance from whoever prevails. Not just one horse that can run hard and run long in essential quality, but you could argue three in him, mm. Hot Rod Charlie and Medina Spirit. 
all of whose riders have said they are quite happy to try and um, exploit weaknesses in Nick's go by going hard and going fast and trying to sustain that. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that European analysts need to get used to is that, that really the run style of a horse in America is much more connected to its ability than in Europe, where horses tend to be more tactically versatile and our races on turf here are settled by late pace. Well, American dirt races are settled by early pace and sometimes it's well worth a jockey riding slightly less than efficiently to get the lead because that means the shortest way around. It means an absence of kickback. And so that's the reason why you see meltdowns because if you, if you have more than two or three horses who are loaded with that type of early speed and who need to get to the front, you know, it's all very well European analysts kind of saying that certain American jockeys went crackers to get to the lead and went off far too fast. But if you drop a horse in who's regularly used to striding on, it's just not going to run well. And so I expect this race to be run at a very fast pace early doors. And you're quite right to point out that is one of the factors that could unsettle and unseat Nick's go. After all, we have seen him will before when the heat was really on. And if we go back to that uh, um, Saudi Cup, for example, Mishrif's Saudi Cup, that's what happened there. That was run at a really quick pace. And in the straight, Nick's go, he's spat out the dummy. So he's just one place behind essential quality in the rankings. In your mind, is essential quality the horse that is there to be shot at? Yeah, he's the horse I want to see win for the reasons you've already set up. It would mean that his portfolio would be complete. He'd be a horse that we could look back on as a Hall of Famer. After all, he'd be a Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner. He'd be a Belmont and Travers winner. And he'd be a horse that had carried his form all the way through. He's got that quirky running style and he can hit a flat spot in his races. He's quite a lazy horse in some ways. And I think that's another reason why he tends to come to life in these really fast-run races. I think they get his blood up and he responds to the challenge. So I'm hoping that he will really come to the party and finish strongly down the outside. Um, figures to get maybe a run, one off the leader, one outside the leader, and should get a lead into the straight, I think. And hopefully we'll see Luis Saiz getting a tremendous response out of him. And in given this American three-year-old season, the kind of finish that I think, for one, that it deserves. Uh, Louis Sayers riding for Brad Cox and Godolphin, essential quality, who is the top-ranked TRC horse in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Now, leading the European challenges to Nawa, the defending champion. She's one of three European defending champions at the fixture this year, together with the other females, Odaria and Glass Slippers. Tanawa is a genuine class act, James. She's got some genuine star quality. Is she as good as she was this time last year going into the race? And has she had as good a preparation? She hasn't shown quite the same level of form. I think that's fair to say. I think her, her best efforts last year typified by the way that she won this race. Now, it is true that in terms of kind of weights and measures and collateral form ratings that the Breeders' Cup turf last year wasn't a brilliant event necessarily, even though Magical was in it. There were a few horses behind it that held the form down, technically speaking. But the way that Tarnawa won that race was, well, one of the most impressive things I've seen at the Breeders' Cup for many moons. And I think that she is a horse ideally suited to American racing. I think that her ability to conjure 
a ridiculously fast finish at the end of our races is somewhat compromised in Europe by our more stronger run races and more expansive affairs. I think here we should see her be able to use her speed, her finishing speed, tiptoe around behind them from a wide gate. I don't really see that as so much of a disadvantage, uh, as some have said. And then I just don't see, if you look at the, the final quarter of these horses, I don't see a horse that can run with Tarnawa in the straight here. I really don't. If she turns in within two or three lengths, she'll blow these horses away. They're not in the same league as her in terms of the way she finishes. And I, th I certainly think that if this was a race where you could guarantee there'd be no trouble in running, which of course is ludicrous as you can't, but if you could guarantee that, five to four about this filly would be a tremendous price because she's by far the most gifted horse lining up here. I realise Tiona is improving and could step up again, but Tarnal has done it time and time again in the real pressure cooker of these highly competitive world-class races. And she's another horse I would love to see sign off her career for the great Dermot Weld with a real signature victory here. And I think she can do it. And she is miles clear on TRC rankings. The next horse in in this race, remarkably, is one of three Aidan O'Brien entrants, the rather unheralded Broom uh, and Frankie de Tori. Could he spring some sort of surprise and get in the frame at a big price? Well, definitely could get in the frame because he can cover a mile and a half quite quickly. But one would have thought that this was the sort of anathema of the test that he really likes. He's a kind of European grinder, a builder, and a traditional type of horse. Takes a while to warm up and then finishes really strongly off a fast pace. Here, you figure a more tactical race, or, or will it be a tactical race? There are a couple of horses here that do like to blaze off. So if this is European style, then Broom and Frankie de Tori could well outrun their odds of around 20 to 1. Otherwise, don't really see him as a versatile enough horse to actually uh, run up to his European form, but we'll see. Uh, you mentioned uh, Love. Now, Love is currently uh, sitting at 36 in the rankings um, after a, a conclusion to last year's campaign where you and I were anticipating that she might um, dominate or, or at least occupy yeah. a position in the top 10 for most of 2021. It hasn't really happened, but she is still clear top rated in the Philly and Mare turf. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That she's fallen from her top number, but it, it was so dominant that she still figures to be able to give a very, very good of account of herself here. Now, sometimes this can be a meeting too far, can't it, at the end of her career? We, we can all recall examples of horses that have gone one race too long and ended their career in a rather less than satisfactory way. But I don't see this here. I think Aidan O'Brien has got that capability to, to reverse the trend of some of the horses' careers. And, and I think this is another interesting runner, really. I think that the thing about this Breeders' Cup meeting in general is that, that it's, a lot of these races are quite top-heavy in terms of talent. And so it's the kind of meeting we might look back at if horses like Love come to the table. We might look back and think, what a Breeders' Cup that was, and a reel off a whole list of of top names who had won their races and really given a satisfactory feeling to the whole event. Or it could be a race of successive shocks of a few horses who probably in the grand scheme of things weren't necessarily Breeders' Cup winners necessarily beforehand. So Love is one of quite a few of these horses that I'm hoping can really deliver on the, the Del Mar stage. And, and again, 
I, I, I'm buying here. I, I think she can do it. So there she is. She's uh, currently ranked 36. Uh, and again, it's, it's a question, isn't it, with her, James, as to whether you think that uh, her season this year has marked a rapid deterioration or whether the computer and we all overranked her achievements as a three-year-old. And yeah, well, that's been the theme of our discussions about a number of horses. And I think it's a very interesting way to look at racing, which is that are horses really disappointing a lot of the time? Or is it more that, you know, going back to the precepts of the bounce theory, which of course is very popular in America for good reason, it can be sometimes that our propensity to define horses by their very best efforts, by nature, leaves us expecting more than they can really deliver. And a good example of this is love. If we look back at her last race, the Group 2 Blandford Stakes, well, she was conceding nine pounds, some of that weight for age, to La, P La Petite Coco, who's a very good horse, daughter of ruler of the world. Paddy Toomey's really got her thriving at the, at the moment. She was clear of Thundering Nights, trained by Joseph O'Brien, of course, and that Thundering Nights is a horse with some very useful form on the board. So was that really that bad a run? I don't think it was. And although Love started at six to five that day and was turned over, she was only beaten a short head and anything but disgraced. And for that reason, a reproduction of that effort figures to see a winner race like this. Now, the history of the Breeders' Cup mile is littered with horses that were essentially sprinters or seven furlong horses that still had to run a mile but found that extra furlong beyond them. Is that going to be the case with the top-ranked horse, Space Blues, in the TRC rankings at 22 or not? Well, this is going to be one of the key handicapping puzzles of the entire meeting because Space Blues is a horse who is really consistent, is really talented, and has caught a rather less than brilliant renewal of this particular race. I here don't think he's going to get home. The way I see him in his race, although he's by Dubawi out of a Novare man, as you say, there have been other horses that, are, that have defied um, a running profile of, of seven furlongs of Space Blues, that's six or seven furlongs. I think when you look at the end of Space Blues races, I don't think he finishes all that strongly. Now, I might be making the mistake of underrating Messrs. Buick and Appleby, which is something I don't normally do, but I don't know. I think those last half furlong of, the last half furlong of this race could well see a number of pretty talented horses closing down on Space Blues. And the top-ranked American horse is Mo Forza, whose form ties in with Smooth Like Straight and Hit the Road. I was fascinated to see how high he was, because the received wisdom is, oh, these American milers are no good. But the rankings have this group much closer up to, to Space Blues than perhaps people had anticipated. Right. Now, I think traditionally, we always looked at horses by the, at their best efforts. And we always thought when we were handicapping horses, if a horse is rated 125, We'd look to it to reproduce that 125 and we'd figure that when conditions were ideal, that's what it would do. That's what we'd expect it to do. Now, as time has gone on and we've been exposed in Europe to racing all around the world, we've begun to see the lie to this, which is it is obvious that there are lots of horses who simply don't win by very far. Now, in Europe, on our expansive tracks and our strongly run races, if a horse doesn't win by very far repeatedly, chances are it's not very good. But when the emphasis is on late pace and when conditions are very firm and the bend's tight, it is exceptionally hard for horses to clear right away. I think of a horse like Golden 60 in Hong Kong. No one doubts his credentials, his absolutely world-class ability, but he's really only got one or two races 
where he's put open lengths between everything else. And I think Mo Forza is a horse like this. All this horse does is win. He's a son of Uncle Mo, but in his, in his, to his advantage, most of all, is the identity of his trainer, Peter Miller, who's got such a good record at the Breeders' Cup. And back in the day, we would have called Peter Miller a target trainer. He's a man that can get horses to peak when it's most important. And it's quite interesting to see the way that he's laid this horse out, one or two uh, sort of training troubles early on in the season, or that he's kind of brought this horse to a peak just at the right time. I think he's going to step up, and I think he's my choice to win this. Mo Forza then, who's currently ranked 35 in the TRC rankings, and that is just 13 places below Space Blues, who is highest ranked in the mile race. There are quite a few very heavy favourites, James, in the dirt races. Mm. There will be some long faces, for example, if life is good doesn't win the dirt mile. And don't we wish that race wasn't really here and he could run in either the sprint or the classic, but that's perhaps one for another day. Gamine, certainly in the Philly and Mare sprint, um, it's just expected she's just going to canter down and canter back. I mean, wouldn't you think, though, that that's what builds our anticipation? Isn't that the type of scenario that makes a race ultimately very exciting. If we go into a race with four co-favourites, yeah, okay, it's a competitive race and everything, doesn't really get the heart beating as much as when we see a horse, a filly-like, I mean, strut her stuff. She figures to go off in European odds of about uh, two to one on, minus 200 in American uh, terms. And, you know, she should put on another show. She's a very talented horse by... Uh, the best dirt sire in the world as we see it, into mischief. And um, yeah, she is a key contender, really, as far as kind of betting and betting volumes are concerned. Because you tend to find that with the long days racing, if a few favourites go in early, of course, by definition, this means that the money can circulate. And this tends to really build the atmosphere, I've noticed, at a Breeders' Cup over the years. A few shocks early on kind of knocks uh, back as onto their heels and kind of then people think, well, is there something funky about the track? Is it just the end of a long season or something? But when a couple of these good things go in early, it really can get the ball rolling and really can produce a real celebration of betting and racing that we're looking for. Of course, we talk about a stellar group of three-year-olds and indeed they are in Essential Quality and uh, Hot Rod Charlie and uh, Medina Spirit. Life is good, promised to be better than all of them at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he, he was future book favourite for the Kentucky Derby for quite some time. And that was very understandable. Um, he beat Medina Spirit eight lengths in the Grade 2 San Felipe back in the spring. And then following that move from Baffert to Pletcher, ran second to Jackie's Warrior in a very fast time, over seven, in the Alan Jerkins Memorial. He built on that, went back went to Belmont, won the Kelso by open lengths, looking a very good horse. Uh, and a, dirt, a mile on dirt seems absolutely perfect for him. Yes, I agree with you. I would prefer to have seen him in the old days in the classic or in the sprint. But he is a very talented horse. And he and Jackie's Warrior, who pulled clear at the end of that race, are two of the names that you're talking about, two of the big marquee names that we want to see deliver and produce satisfying open-length victories. 
The distaff is more contentious, even though we have got a short-priced favourite there. Latruska has won more Breeders' Cup Challenge Series races in a single season than any horse in history. She's racked up a whole sequence of grade ones, seeming to be more impressive each time, culminating in that victory at Keeneland last time. How much has she got on her plate, relatively speaking, this time round in the distaff, James? Well, I think this is a, really a case of a horse that's kind of run to the level required to win two or three times already. And when a, when a mare or, 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 a, or a colt does that, that, you begin to wonder whether it's, this is the race where she's going to go over the top, whether she's going to be caught out by you know, the increased level of competition, the attritional effects of a tough season. In terms of the opposition, Royal Flag is an improving daughter of Candy Ride at five. She's really thrived late. The horse I like here is Malathar. She has an absolutely gigantic stride. She takes a while to engage that, but she's a, a tremendous sight when in full flow. And I think that, what's, that, that, that the really competitive nature of this race might well provide her with the type of platform that she hasn't had since, that, uh, since in the spring. And we saw her just get up close home in the Kentucky Oaks. And so for that reason, I'd like to see her really uh, bring everything to the table and, uh, and win this and show stamina curling out of an AP Indy mare is such an important thing on dirt and turf. And Sheikh Hamdan, since his death, as it's, his operation has had to slim down, we've got questions over the future, but we've seen time and time again the legacy of his brilliant understanding of the thoroughbred. His horse is now represented, uh, running under the Shadwell Stable banner, but it will be another great tribute to him to see her do it. And as we wrap this up, James, we have to pose the question, what sort of performance could see any of these horses threaten St. Mark's Basilica and Palace Pier and Mishrif for the top spot? Well, I think it could definitely happen. I really do. and. People might be surprised by that, but when I say it can definitely happen, it requires a combination of a dominating win by any of four or five individuals, essential quality, Nick's Go, Tarnawa, Jackie's Warrior, or even Hot Rod Charlie, plus the other logical contenders to run their races in behind. So say, for example, if we had five lengths and six lengths as the margin at the end of the Classic, and it was Central Quality first, Nick's go second, and Hot Rod Charlie third. That would be the best performance in the world this year, without a shadow of a doubt, because of the depth and quality of the competition before, behind. If it's more of a scramble finish and heads and necks and horses who were previously completely unheralded behind, then the way that rankings work, it gives more uncertainty to that result. And so it'll probably slot in somewhere below but what the exciting thing about this, this meeting is, is that there is that still that potential at the, this late stage of the season. Because if essential quality delivers in this classic, Nick, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a cast iron Hall of Fame horse. And you can't necessarily say that of St. Mark's Basilica, Palace Pier and Baid, three horses that are above him currently. Top-notch horses, though they are, there are many, many examples you could think of in, in Europe of horses that exceeded or had more compelling credentials than them at the end of the season. But could you really say that of an American dirt horse, a Breeders' Cup juvenile winner, a horse that's just like won virtually everything that's, that's been put in front of him, that's won a Belmont stakes over a man half, a Breeders' Cup 
juvenile, and then a Breeders' Cup classic. I can't think of a horse quite as brilliant as that, given the number of um, wins and the depth of his CV that isn't a set of American Pharaoh quality or, or, or going back further. And for that reason, I think he would be a very suitable world number one for this rankings algorithm. And that seems a perfect note on which to conclude what has been, for me, a thoroughly absorbing and very educational half hour. James, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know uh, you and I first started working together on Breeders' Cups 20 years ago, and it's a meeting very close to our hearts, and it never gets old. Yeah, and for me, it's the meeting where I most have an emotional connection to wanting to see the best horses do it. Because I think there's something incredibly uplifting about the fact that, that, that these dirt horses have been through a hard season, they've met every challenge, and then they've raised themselves to another level in these really strongly run races. And it's equally true of turf as well. And for me, a signature victory for these horses at the Breeders' Cup, it cements their position in my memory and those of thousands and thousands of racing fans on both sides of the Atlantic and now increasingly around the world as being the kind of star thoroughbreds that really make this game tick. And betting aside, I am desperate for essential quality to win the Classic. I just think it would provide an unbelievable moment in the sport's history. And it's fingers crossed for the Godolphin horse for me. James, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic weekend following all the action from Del Mar. And we will be back to wrap it all up in Tom's company on Monday. That was Friday the 5th of November. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.